Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sig Marxism Podcast. I'm back from my little vacations. This is Sam speaking live to you. Uh, this episode, as always, will be edited by Rich. Thank you, Rich. I'm joined today by Alex and Danny. Alex, let's start with you. How are you doing today? Not too bad. I'm recovering from the vile uh, bot election manipulations of the towel. Uh, we were running the UCC, and there was some really sketchy uh, vote infla- uh, bot inflations of the votes, so we're having to deal with that. Ah, okay. I've been uh, pretty behind on that. We'll have to. Um, is, it, did, did it wind up like we predicted with a uh, far side enclave versus Tau uh, vote in the final ultimate comrade contest? Uh, that's what UCC he is re- Alex is referring to in terms of the Sick Marxism subreddit. If anyone is unaware, yes. Interestingly, I think there was a bit of uh, you know Russian interference going on in our election. Um, ah, God damn it! I was gonna say that. I was going to make that joke. I was waiting so long, but you stole it. <laughs> Fuck you. Well, it, it is low-hanging fruit there, to be honest. It is. It is. It Quite is very, a slightly very, very more real conspiracy than <laughs> the actual one forced by the Democrats. Yeah. We should uh, hire Robert we'll prove to too. <laughs> Indeed. And, of course, Danny, how are you doing today? Uh, well, you posted a few pictures of painting some Death Guard. How's that, how's that going right now? Oh, it's going good. I'm actually painting them right now. I decided to, uh, instead of being responsible and reading the book for the pod, I was like, hey, what if I painted Death Guard instead? And so I did. And then I was like, oh, shit, I need to read this book for the pod. And that was 20 minutes ago. So, uh, hmm, yes. Having uh, a normal a, one. Yes. Uh, I am a very responsible podcaster, and I take this job very serious. Please don't fire me, please. <laughs> we've got we. Uh, I don't know. We've already got uh, people lined up on the subreddit, uh, ready oh, to take fuck. a look. <laughs> Anyways, uh, today we're going to be doing a book review, as is tradition with our fourth episode. We will be reviewing Josh Reynolds' Nagash, the Undying King, an Age of Sigmar book, a non-end times or a Warhammer fantasy battles book. So this will be the first Age of Sigmar book we'll be covering on the podcast. And uh, it was definitely an interesting experience. This is my second Age of Sigmar book. Um, but before we get into the review proper, uh, just do a little bit of news. I wasn't here to talk about the Bone Reapers. Um, uh, if you, as, uh, as you heard last episode, you got uh, Danny, Rich's, and Alex's impressions about that. Uh, for me, I'm personally okay with them. I like their bodies and like the catapult design. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the faces. I think kind of them having pupils makes them a little too human-like, just to uh, give a brief thing. But overall, you know, I like that GW is getting weird with Age of Sigmar, and I wish that they were add that inventiveness to 40K. And on the 40K side of things, we have more fucking Space Marines coming your way for pre-order. We have the Raven Guard and the Iron Hand supplement coming along with an upgrade pack uh, to sell you those. Uh, I play Space Marines and. I'm even getting a little sick of seeing space raid stuff on the, you know, covering my uh, local friendly local my friendly local game stores shelves. I'm getting a little bit tired of seeing that always for pre-order. I want to see something different. I want to see something new. I mean, like I wasn't interested in Aeronautica Imperialis, um, but I think it was something new and it's different. And I kind of want Games Workshop to be taking more 
doing more weird stuff and less playing it safe. And another thing, uh, speaking of take a little bit weird and maybe a little bit less safe, uh, Alex, I think they revealed a new bone behemoth for the bone reapers. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So um, they uh, you know added an additional little behemoth to the reveals of the bone reaper stuff. And I can definitely understand why there might be mixed reactions to this. Like personally, it kind of it looked like a uh, warmer hods model. It being extremely top heavy, like just looking a bit unbalanced. Like it's, I like the concept, which is basically a big a bone behemoth. Of, yeah, yeah, that, that's collecting like um, that's got a little osprey backpack full of bones and skulls. I mean, what else would you put in your backpack, right? Um, you gotta have snacks. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it, something about it just doesn't quite work for me. It looks like he skipped leg day. He definitely skipped leg yeah. day. Uh, well, um, well, technically, since he's a construct and he was developed by an innumerable amount of bones and corpses, I guess everyone skipped leg day, really. So that's a message for all of you listeners. Don't skip leg day. Anyways, um, I'm, I'm a fan of him. Uh, it's, he's goofy. <laughs> But it's a kind of goofy that I'm okay with. Like uh, one of the things I do like about Age of Sigmar, the setting over 40k times is like the the sat- satirical or like the willingness to poke fun at itself or just to have humor in it, and not in a kind of like always just like quippy Marvel style humor where it's uh, doesn't really come from a real affectation or piece of genuine uh, genuine uh, pathos, but. The willingness to be a little goofy, a little bit silly and ridiculous. Um, I'm a fan of him. He looks, and like Alex says, he does look like a Crick's Warjack with his tiny legs and his big body, his big muscly body. Um, yeah, I like him. I love him. He's adorable. So I guess if, if, if Games Workshop was trying to go for something that he's imposing or intimidating, they have indeed failed on that front. So apologies on that, but I think he's just adorable. Yeah, and and have you guys looked at the last photo in that little post where the, you can also make out two other, two other um, models? Yeah, that haven't been revealed. There's like, I quite like the the one on the left, which basically looks very similar Van, to the. It looks like Vanda's hammer hand, but a skeleton. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but I kind of dig what I can see of that design. Um, uh, so yeah, and uh, and also the alt builds for the uh big monstrous infantry, I guess you'd call them if it was still 8th edition, that look like General Grievous, according to people. The the old builds for that also look pretty nice. So, I yeah. think they look less like General Grievous now that they have the swords and the shields. I kind of like that a little bit better, because it feels like, you know, the first one with, um, <laughs> they just have like, you know, they have four hands, but they only have like two weapons, so it just kind of looks like, you know, why the fuck do they have another two hands, I guess, to swing it faster or something? This looks a little bit better, but, you know, you know how it be. <laughs> it do be that way. Uh, <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, that's my, that's basically about all of our reactions for that. More Space Read stuff. Hopefully something a little bit more exciting next week uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, anyway, so let's get on to Nick Gash, The Undying King. I listened to the auto, audiobook for this, which was actually quite good. Uh, so, Alex, uh, general reactions to Nick Gash, The Undying King, spoiler free, before we even get into the summary. Yeah, so I really like this book. Um, probably my favorite of the AOS books I've read so far. I think it does a really good job in terms of creating um, like this this kind of oppressive, gloomy atmosphere. Obviously, it's got you know humor here or there, as one would expect with with like Josh Reynolds, where he likes to 
I mean, Bayfield is kind of um, an uncharitable way of putting it, but the, the, there's like elements of the of human that shines in within the downness. But yeah, I, I, I kind of also like the similar uh, to, to Horus Rising that there's an effort to actually do some thematically kind of ambitious stuff. Um, so whereas uh, when we talked about Josh Reynolds the last episode for um, the Return of Nagash, that was a case of a book that had some good elements and some promise, but overall kind of suffered with a slightly janky story. I think this is more of the case where, yeah, I would put this beside Horace Rising as a really good book. I was just going to say, I haven't read the book, but uh, <laughs> I'm actually going to be the contrarian here. And because I haven't read it, I'm going to say it's dog shit because let's be real. All books are dog shit, you know, even audio books, you know, like I'm a, I'm a big fan of Socrates when he said, you know, writing things down is for pussies. You guess you just... Yeah, you, you just gotta remember stuff. You gotta listen to stuff. Well, you just gotta remember things. You know, why would you have to read anything? You guys, <laughs> read. Are, you guys are all lame. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting over here being the, the Chad artist, while you guys are uh, the Virgin readers. So uh, get on my level. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Danny would have uh, read, uh, read and listened to the book if somebody had just recounted it by memory to him. Uh, that's he's going the full Aristotle way. Yeah. So he's just he's, he's just gonna find someone who's entirely memorized the book, and then they have uh, recounted him. So we'll have his reactions in uh, one thousand years, which is probably the amount of time it would take for somebody to remember this book word for word. All right, uh, I like the book. Uh, I I I wasn't saying that this book had bathos. I was more referring to uh, that it doesn't have a lot of bathos. Oh, it has a little bathos, but it's not entirely bathos poisoned like some of like the MCU films are. Or like uh, some other, like kind of like a very more modern sensibility. It's everything's kind of undercut with Bazos. But I like it. Uh, I thought it was fun. Um, for me, uh, most of my enjoyment came from understanding the mortals a lot better. Uh, it was a lot more interesting to see the more human perspective. Because the only other Age of Sigmar book I had read before this was um, uh, Josh Reynolds' Soul Wars. Which takes the uh, Night Haunt slash... Uh, Stormcast Eternals perspective, which is fun, and that was a good book. I would recommend that. But they're not really mortals. They're basically undying beings or semi-immortal, like in a Stormcast uh, purpose. They can just be reborn and reborn and reborn again. So it was nice seeing basically what everyday schmucks living inside of the realm of Age of Sigmar. And in this case, we were seeing the perspective from Shaish, which is the realm of death, the realm of Nagash. So, uh, so we're just going to give a brief summary. This will be a brief spoiler-free summary. And then after that, we will do our usual. Uh, we're just going to go full spoilers. There's not really parts. It's not a very long book. So it won't be like part one, part two, part three. It's just going to be general discussion. All right. So general summary. Have, uh, oh, go ahead, Danny. Yeah, I just have one question. Kind of, um, I wasn't able to find anything on this. Like, where does uh, Age of Sigmar sit? I know, like, in, like, the context is there a continuous universe between like aos and 40k or is no. it no okay two That's separate worlds yeah okay yeah but there is it is between a aos and warhammer fantasy yes those those worlds are continuous yeah uh age of sigmar is i mean we could kind of go into a more extenuation of what age of sigmar the realm is uh but basically kind of this is the new world which has been rebuilt um from the old world, which is why we have so many familiar characters like Neferata, Manfred, Archon, Nagash, uh, who've returned. But AOS is not connected to Warhammer 40k in any way, uh, though there are obviously the the Chaos Gods, you know, like Nurgle, Korn, 
slanesh zinch those do carry over uh but for the purposes of the stories like what they're doing in the 41st century doesn't really have anything that they're doing in um age of sigmar and the gods kind of have a different personality and interaction with the mortal realm as well which we will get into when we get to the more spoiler free section so anyways so the the the, the very briefest summary of Nagash the Undying King is that Nagash has been seemingly mortally wounded by Archeon the Everchosen, the uh, the Chaos Undivided Lord who basically destroyed the old world, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles world, and uh, so he's basically mortally wounded him. He appraised Nagash's skull rather hard with his phonology sword. <laughs> he appraised, yeah, Nagash didn't like that. So Nagash has basically become seemingly a shadow of his former self, and he's just kind of like sulking in his little... Um, Faux underworld, faux Hades, and but because of that, the forces of Nurgle, uh, specifically the Crow Clan, like basically the followers of the plague, followers of Nurgle, mortal followers mixed with Daemon, Nurgle Daemon followers, are invading the realm of Shaish. You know, they see that this is this is their time to strike, and so we basically we see two main perspectives. Uh, this is not too spoiler free. We see Tamara Vendrak who is a mortal who lives in Shaish and kind of like as her clan is being attacked by the Nurgle followers. And then we follow Festerbite and uh, Gurm. Festerbite is kind of a mortal follower of uh, of Nurgle. And then we have Gurm, who is a daemon, a, a herald of Nurgle. And then, of course, we get all of our favorites that we talked about in the uh, Return of Nagash. We have Neferata, Archon. Uh, no Manfred, no fail Manfred this time. He's busy right. defending Hellstone. He is. He's off uh, getting glory in his own. Uh, I'd say that's a pretty good spoiler-free summary. Alex, anything you'd want to add to that? I mean, like, it's one thing to say Nagash is sulking, but the point of the book is that he's he's like literally a um, someone suffering from like a degenerative, uh, you know, a mental illness. Like he's he he's actually being like cared for by a caretaker in, in Arcan. I think that's a really interesting take to go for it. We usually see like all powerful. Um, you know, uh, demigods either dormant like Sauron in, in his in his ring, like plotting to return, or in their ascendancy. But this is this kind of weird mix where he's he's literally like just kind of not all there. Is, is what I say. Like he's still extremely powerful, and you've got these weird scenes where his Mortarks are like looking at him a bit askance because he's simultaneously this god, but he's also just not. Like, I do not want to draw some kind of sundowning analogy because then we'll go on to this whole conversation with uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden saying, oh, who's more Nagash? Like, but it, it is like uh, that, but with pathos. Oh. It, it, this is the, the tragedy version of Joe Biden's comedy. <laughs> uh, uh, Joe, uh, if Joe Biden or Donald Trump were actually uh, relatable uh, figures, were actually, yeah. Anyways, all right. So that's kind of. Is that Nagash is like in hospice? Sure. Yeah, almost kind of. Um, like the the idea is he's he's trying to regain his uh, his power after being uh, crumbed by Arkham. But like, yeah, he's he's just he's not there basically. He's not and, quite there. And the, the realm kind of uh, is suffers because of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, uh, uh, yeah, we're getting a little bit into spoiler territory. So, uh, so yeah, that's gonna be our little cutoff point. Uh, so if you are interested in reading the book yourselves, uh, both Alex, Alex recommends it a lot more. It's one of his favorite Black Library books that we've talked about. I thought it was a good fun, and I thought it was informative of the mortal realms and seeing the mortal perspective of Age of Sigmar. So I would recommend it if you're just kind of curious about 
how this uh, how this whole new universe works out and kind of how the inner workings of maybe just you know instead of like your heroic stormcast or great chaos warrior you're kind of looking at the more common man or common person perspective of um from age of sigmar all right so now we're gonna get into our spoiler free thing uh all right so now let's kind of discuss that all right so now so now let's go back to nagash so yeah so he got he got proper crumped by archeon and yeah he's he's suffering from like alzheimer's uh, he's not as lucid as he was anymore you know of course he, he's being full of self-doubt as well uh like there's like plenty of moments where it's kind of like archon comments that like nagash would have crumpled like entire armies with just like a with a single word and now he's just kind of there sulking uh, almost suffering from ptsd about like he, there's a moment in the book where he talks about just like how he relives archeon just smashing his skull in over and over again and how it changes every time like sometimes it's a sword sometimes it's a mallet sometimes it's something else but he's well, just always getting the final back blow to his other deaths right because he's been killed by sigmar in the old world he's been killed by uh skaven with a sword mm, yeah but but uh, for the purposes of this book he's always dreaming it as archeon who's doing it but he's just he's does he like remember <laughs> the old world like does everyone remember the old world or is it like sort of like a thing where they semi-remember yeah, it's more that. It's very hazy. Um, the, yeah, the gods semi-remember. And by gods, we mean like Nagash, Sigmar. Uh, the Chaos Gods know it fully, but obviously we're never going to get the perspective from the Chaos Gods themselves because they're such powerful, immaterial beings. Because like those are the only things that have 100% lucid memory of the old world because they've exist always existed and they always have been. And they were the ones who basically, you know, yeeted the old world out with the Archeon okay. splitting it in half. So it's kind of like, um, unlike 40k, where like the Chaos Gods are kind of born out of stuff, where like Slavash is born out, like uh, Nurgle is born out of the plague in the 12th century, and like Slavash is born out of uh, the Eldar. Dying. Yeah, it, it, it's basically it, the Chaos Gods have always been there, and they always, always will be there. So. I kind of prefer that, to be honest. Um, like, <laughs> I, I gotta say, it does diminish the Lovecraftian horror a little bit. It was like, oh yeah, I've only just recently been hired. Uh, <laughs> this is my first day on the job as the Lovecraftian horror. Um, I, I hope to make a good impression. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we kind of have that moment, but w the, the book starts from the perspective of Tamar Van Drac and the Drac clan, who are basically being attacked by Nurgle followers. Uh, Basically, the Nurgle followers have been told by this one Chaos Daemon Gurm, who's a plague bearer, a herald of Nurgle, that it's like, okay, Nagash is weakened, or a lot of well, them believe they believe Nagash is dead. A lot of them have been told Nagash is dead. So, yeah, oh, they, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, most of them have been told Nagash is dead. So this is the perfect time to strike Shaiish. Uh, but Gurm, you know, because he's a plotting little daemon, he basically he knows that Nagash is not fully dead. So he basically wants to go to his place, uh, Nagash's little hiding hole called Stigix, Stigix, and he wants to kill Nagash himself, you know, because like this would be the ultimate uh, boon for him. He will send, he will please Grandpapa Nurgle. And, uh, and basically the reason why, and he's pushing the mortals, he's like shoving them, pushing them, pushing them constantly forward because the way Nagash's realm is accessed is through these various gates, but they move around all the time. So it's not just like, oh, you know, it's the coordinates for Nagash Gate is you know eighty one ninety two. It it constantly changes and it's always shifting. So Gurm has to push the mortal followers, 
faster and faster to get there. So that way he can claim his glory while the regular mortal Nurgle followers are just like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to claim this land for Papa Nurgle, you know, uh, you know, death is the opposite of uh, despair. Uh, you know, it's a, it's the opposite of life because Nurgle has placed a good foothold in the realm of life with Alarion the Sylvaneth in uh, Gairan. Yeah. And can we talk a bit about uh, the Nurgle followers? Cause it's not like your oh, book yes. standard. Um, the so what's they're called the Order of the Fly and yeah I love like them the the Pox Crusade and the idea is they are uh, like a chivalric order of knights who are kind of loosely a riff on Bretonia that they worship the uh, the Lady of of Flies who um, bestows like the fly born chalice and, and then they drink from it and become more powerful uh, and, oh, and also because <laughs> Rich was telling me that my Nurgle take was wrong last week. To quote this, <laughs> clarity was Nurgle's <laughs> gift to his chosen to see the world as it was, stripped bare to the tattered mask of desire and hope, leaving only beautiful despair. There was comfort in surrender and joy in acceptance. So that um, is what it's about. It is all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess just got to... Uh, Richard, Richard's uh, going to cut that out of the pod now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or or he's just going to put it with like a text to speech thing. It's like, oh, Rich, this is what I want to say. I am a big idiot. Rich was <laughs> right and did everything as and is a great editor. Like that's all it's going to be cut out for. Uh, yeah, Rich, I am a big idiot, and yet I still own you. <laughs> cut, out the, cut out the rest of that, please. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I really, really, really loved the Nurgle followers. That was really interesting for me because it. Especially in 40k, the perspective on chaos followers is just kind of like ravenous barking dogs or, you know, just like half mad lunatics sort of deal. So it was really interesting seeing like people who are actually lucid and are t partaking in a crusade, uh, <laughs> you know, a crusade for Nurgle, which is always just a funny pairing of words. And yeah, yeah. like the, the, the Blight Lords and the Blight Kings are basically, I mean, like they're horribly uh, bloated and pus ridden and stuff like that. But um, like they have these very stern codes, which uh, Gurm, the uh, the Nurgle, the Herald, Plague Bear, he basically talks about, he's like, oh, these guys are like so stuffy and they stick to honor so much. He's like, it kind of makes my job a little bit harder, which I thought was fun. Kind of the playing back and forth. We follow a uh, Blight Lord named uh, Festerbite, who's Question, kind of... This? Uh, is this yeah. kind of like the flesh eater courts, where like they think they're like noble noble knights? No, like no, no, no. They um, no, the flesh eater courts are actually in this book, and we will get we will get to that. Uh, uh, the no, they realize that their followers of Nurgle that they're covered in pus, uh, scabs, wounds, and that kind of stuff, and are horribly bloated. But, but they're they into yeah, but they love it. But the thing is, like, they still have like a knightly order, so it's basically like still Arthurian Knights of the Round Table sort of stuff, but they're also just covered in every disease imaginable. Like, they still have, like, a knightly code, a thing of chivalry. And uh, I did like the little um, they'll, they'll greet us as liberators moment with the <laughs> with the Crusaders. Yeah, Remember that? Yeah, yeah. like, they, they that do moment. just want to talk them around to their point of view. Uh yeah, I yeah. We this is now the second book where we basically have like a, a an Iraq allegory, uh, because like there because there is a discussion between uh, uh, Festerbite and the other Blight Lords, and basically they're kind of discussing. They're like, "Wow, I, I really thought that the people of Shaish would have greeted us with open arms, you know, freeing them from the gash." So it's literally just like, "Oh, they'll greet us as liberators." It's like we were told that they'll love us. 
but they're and they're surprised that the people of Shaish, which who are not dead, uh, some of them are necromancers. Um, not all of them are skeletons or ghouls, like a uh, flesh eater courts that Ganny reference. Like a lot of them are just people like you and me who just happen to be living in the realm of Nagash. And the Nurgle followers, um, the the crow worshippers are just kind of like, oh, why don't these people love us? Like you think they would be so happy that Nurgle's coming to bless them. It's like the age old story of uh Oh yeah, I know that one. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I just yeah. had a huge brain for it. Like I was like, I was like, oh yeah, that's some it's good. The, it's the age-old story of three O's, three, three O's. Yeah. Um. What? What? Danny, are you sure you're not in the gas? Just kind of getting <laughs> lost in your thoughts, staring into the eternal abyss, wondering what's going on. No. Uh, hot take: Joe Bi- Joe Biden is actually in the gash because did you see like uh, the picture the other day of like Joe Biden's like eye bleeding or something? Yeah, yeah, we, Joe we Biden, definitely did. Joe Biden is now officially losing his mind because he's a fallen he's a fallen titan. <laughs> if you think about it, vice presidents are actually like the gods of our world. Oh my god! <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Uh, like to, to me, I guess to so we we need to talk about Tamra Vodrak, right? We do the, need to talk the, about the Tamra. voivode of the Richter's clan. Yep. Yeah, I'll let um, you do that, Alex. Oh, cool. So yeah, so uh, we kind of um, spot Tamra as she's defending herself against one of the raiding parties of uh, of the Order of the Fly, and um, the 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 clan Richter's are like these kind of divided clans that used to be one great one, but. Uh, they defied the will of Nagash and were so kind of uh, like basically completely uh, like d- dissolved into loads of mini mini like feudal duchies. Yeah, so there's just countless little clans. Anyway, what are the, the one Tamra is uh, defending is being attacked by the Order of the Fly, and they've got this kind of cool relationship to the deceased, where they uh, she as a necromancer can bring back people like her brother, among others, to to defend the living. Um, and so you've got this uh, defense moment where she's trying to uh, to repel the invaders from destroying her people. And then her brother actually heavily implied to be uh, that his soul is taken uh, By to be forged as a Stormcast Eternal. Yeah. And she's just like, what the hell? <laughs> Doesn't quite understand yeah. what's going on. Um, before she gets completely wrecked by the Nagelwashpers, she is um, saved by uh, Neferata, who comes, well, one of Nagesh's Mortarks, to repel them. Um, and this is the start of Neferata kind of taking Tamra under her wing, almost like a like a protege, much to the amusement of her um, her Blood Knight Castan uh, Adhima. Um, and yeah, so there's some good character stuff going on here. Uh, also, a lot of female characters in this, which is nice. Um, and none, yeah. and none of them are sexualized or are given the line that uh, they are, but they didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. Yeah, like. <laughs> Like you, Neferata is a character where you really wouldn't want someone with iffy like gender politics writing her because she could easily become like just the worst kind of femme fatale, like super sexy, uses her sex to kill people, and that's not the case here. Which is, mm. <laughs> yeah, she's a character who could be easily mishandled by a, yeah. a dumbass or two. Yeah, actually, like have, the why don't we just have Graham and Neil write everything? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> Graham, Graham McNeil with fucking Neferata 
it's like oh she she looked down at her um und- her her pale bosom and uh commented that her nipples were still erect despite no blood having flown there for centuries. Now I want to see Graham McNeil like sexualize a female skeleton and just be like, like, like have like one of the Ossiac bone reapers just like try to like, oh, that had to be a good comedy scene. You have like an no, Ossiac. No, please no. <laughs> well, you have like a bo- Ossiac bone reaper like going out and like trying to like. Uh, Alex is going to die. <laughs> Like tried to like like you know woo a mortal, but it doesn't make any sense because they're just bones and uh, <laughs> or, like something like that, you know. You know. Well, oh. well we we should specify <laughs> that Neferata is a vampire. She's not a skeleton. <laughs> so well, like the 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 bone reapers who can switch between the four souls. It's like this soul is a redhead. This soul is a brunette. This soul is a that's like the only one. <laughs> it's like literally the picture I saw the other day where it was a hydra. One of the heads was gay and the other ones were straight and it was uh, getting fucked in the ass. So, yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Hail okay. Hydra, I guess. Um, I guess, yeah. 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 So, and, and, and this this Bone Reaper head is a uh, is a ruby wife, waifu pillow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Yes. Anyways, Nefrod like is a good character. Nefrod is a good character. Going back on topic. She, yeah, she, um, she's a well-written, developed character, and the kind of way that she plays off of Archon the Black, who we talked about in the um, Return of Nagash. Uh, I guess we should we should kind of give a summary of who the Mortarks are. Yes, like so. Yeah, Alex, what is a Mortark? So Mortark is one of uh, Nagash's main lieutenants. Um, things mentioned that there are uh, nine in total. Which <laughs> gives us some space of work with releasing more. Um, but yeah, so the ones in this book anyway are um, uh, Neferata and Arkan. Manfred is kind of, um, he's away, he's, he's doing his own things. Uh, which, if you want more Manfred content, I guess listen to our last uh, book review. Uh, though there is a really nice aside about the dynamics of the Mortarks, which seem really well realized. The idea that um, Neferata and and Manfred are both like schemers. Like they're both supposed to represent like a an aspect of Nagash he finds useless, but he he's still like useless to him as a being, but he still kind of finds another uh subject to like embody it. So Neferata is his guile, Manfred is ambition, and Arkan is loyalty. And so Neferata and Manfred are constantly like doing little proxy wars and scheming against each other. And then Arkan is always there to kind of step in to make sure this doesn't go too wrong and then they will then often like team up and uh, and 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 like try and do their own proxy wars on him and manfred really hates arkan because he's got this little talent and we saw this in the last book so i think it says the quote is like with one phrase he can reduce this kind of extremely uh wily and sly vampire to just a spluttering angry mess and that's kind of his skill (laughs) He, he's easily pro- Manfred has been shown to be easily provoked. <laughs> yeah, but Arkan is like especially good at it. And and the other thing going through this book is like the Mortarks and empathy. Uh, Arkan is this weird case where he's kind of like he, he's totally loyal to Nagash, and that is his main goal. And yet he kind of has this strange empathy for mortals that ne- Neferata has like a kind of different. She also ha- she has like more friendships. And he, and but she's less likely yeah. to kind mm. of regret using people. I don't know. It's like this. No, she's she's all she's a lot more openly manipulative. Like she's not portrayed as like a soulless, you know, entirely yeah. hateful creature. Um, <laughs> she 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 does she is mostly interested in forwarding her own 
plans. She is a little narcissistic in that thing, but she is. Yes. But she's not entirely without uh, pathos. Oh, oh no, I wasn't implying that. I was saying that that in different ways. So like, Neferata actually kind of teases Arkan for it. She says like, "They, you are more kindly disposed to the living than one might guess." They have a fire in them, one that has long been extinguished in you, and you bask in their heat, seeking to rekindle it. Uh, and and she's kind of like, <laughs> basically, sort of, uh, yeah, kind of like uh, razzing him about his kind of almost vampiric desire to be around people. But he does also sort of care, and then she she does as well. Like she she's genuinely excited about taking uh, Tamara under her wing, even though she's using her. and. When we get towards the bittersweet ending, like it's clear that Neferata has regrets about it, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna get there entirely. Um, yeah, the the one theme that always kind of plays with ne Archon, that's like kind of eternally um, a button that's always pushed with Archon, is, is how much of Archon is Archon himself, and how much is Archon Nagash. And so, like, there's a moment where it's kind of like Archon does briefly consider betraying Nagash. But the book specifies that as soon as he thinks it, he basically snuffs it out. So I'm not sure if Reynolds is, if they are saving up for like one grand betrayal of Archon from Nagash, but it's also, or it's just kind of like the eternal conflict that's always raging in Archon. Because Archon if, is, if nothing, is stoic. He is like, yeah. he's, he's stoicism incarnate. Even like if internally he might be raging or having, going through decisions or thinking back to like various uh, times back when he was fleshy or like the various battles he's done for Nagash he uh, exterior wise he's always showing a veneer of stoicism mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which I it's kind of, kind of like building up to something where it's like he kind of explodes one day or kind of like it yeah maybe he will but it, it will be that if he ever does explode and hopefully that'll be done by Reynolds it'll be a huge massive thing because he's been stoic for so many centuries and like in the old world as well so I mean uh, he is Smithers to Nagash's Mr. Burns like yeah he is he is he's definitely Smithers <laughs> uh yeah so it is interesting so he's kind of like the solid rock where Neferata is always scheming Manfred's always scheming uh, Archon is forever loyal. Uh, so I, I guess I, we can. I, oh, sorry. Do we have any? Have there been any stories about Lady Olindar, the the other Mortark of the Mortark of Grief? Have I don't been... know if there've been novels. There's a campaign book, but I don't think novels yet. Yeah, I'd be interested in. Um, yeah. I hope Reynolds would uh, would tackle her and the other Mortark, uh, the the Bone Reapers one as well, so that way we could get their personality because they would be the first Mortarks we would read about that basically never existed in the old world, so they'd be created whole cloth for a text, which I'd be yes. very interested in reading. And if they're shit characters, then that's really going to show next to the really good three that we have. So you you kind of want them to be a bit developed. Yep. Uh. So yeah, that's kind of all the stuff that's going on with the the Mortarks, the quote unquote immortal side of it. But the the large meat of the book, pun intended, is the mortal side. So it's it's Tamra, Festerbite, and then a little bit of the flesh eater courts, but that's towards the end. So so basically, uh, Tamra's hold of the drac gets overrun by the Nurgaloids. Uh, Neferata <laughs> saves them, and they basically go to this. They basically go to this uh, fortress. Uh, this this basically this very much not Helm's Deep. Uh, whatever you do, don't call it Helm's Deep. Called the Mandible, which is basically this one fortress where they're going to make their final stand. And Tamra is tempted. She's tempted by these kings of old who betrayed Nagash. You know, who who dared raise sword against Nagash. And he's kind of 
banished them forever. And this was long before, uh, you know, Nagash got crumped by Archeon. And so Tamara's kind of always, it, it's being set up basically that Tamara's going to free these lords. But because because Tamara, is, if, if the one thing that she is consistently set up for is to care about her people, and that's all she wants, like that's is that she had just has this very caring, this very nurturing uh, aspect about her. She just cares about the greater good of her people. Yeah, it's it's her duty. Um, uh, yeah. So like the I, I think that's partly where we get into another big theme of the book, which is kind of justice and consequence. But, like that is so kind of enshrined into the fabric of Shais, like throughout. Every everyone we sort of meet locally are kind of resigned to their fate as being, as as kind of either redeeming themselves for some crime or just suffering under the law of Nagash. Like they both revere him and fear him, which is made doubly kind of weird when he ends up being in the state he is now. Like it's a mixture of of pity and just fear. But the, yeah. so the broken kings were like the kings who rebelled against him and had so been imprisoned. Yeah. Uh, ve- yeah, also very similar to Lord of the Rings with uh, the kings who are entombed and turned yeah. into Yeah, so uh, kind of like the ring wa- wraiths almost. No, no, sort of no, no, no. Uh, it was the it was like the ghost from uh, Return of the King. Oh, that, oh uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That Aragorn freed the the cursed kings that uh, can only be freed by a, a certain individual. But obviously, to do so would be breaking the law of Nagash, and that is the one. Yeah. That like is the do big not point. want to do that. Um, like the the fleshy courts, which plays into this, because obviously it turns out that they were also part of the old Rictus clans, but were punished for siding with the Broken Kings. Yeah, uh, and you've got the the warnings from the Ghoul King, the Prince of Crows, uh, to Tamra mm. about Neferata and and how the people she kind of uses she and promises lies. the world to that they will doom. Yeah, and that's kind of the big thing is that Tamra's stuck between, uh, you know, listening to Neferata because Neferata's like, oh, she's not telling her to free the kings, but she's very obviously, uh, you know, goading her on to yes. free the kings because it will save her people. Because Tamra, above anything else, wants to protect her people, and if even if that includes breaking the law of Nagash, and the the Ghoul Kings are basically saying that whatever you do, do not break the law of Nagash. It's like, it's not worth it. Like, we'll, we'll die and we'll perish. Like, that's kind of how things go in Naga- uh, Shaish. But whatever you do, don't break the law of Nagash. And Neferat is a liar. And it's heavily implied that she basically cursed them earlier to this fate. And she's, of course, playing coy or playing faux surprised. Or that she um, kind of, like, uh, asked them to, and, and kind of convinced them to rebel, and then they suffered their fate. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I would say that um, I, it has a really strong opening and a, a strong ending that we'll get to. The middle part, which is kind of going between the, the preparations on Neferata and Tamrasside, and then also the Pox Crusade, which is kind of get, having its advance, and, you know, Gurm is hassling Volgus for haste, uh, to Stigix, and they're kind of occasionally attacked by undead things, which Nagash summons in moments of lucidity. That's probably the the. It gets a little bit repetitive in terms of one scene too many of the Nurgle followers being attacked. Though I did at least like the the vibe they were going for, where both Tamra and the Nurgle characters are kind of like doomed and sort of just futile. Uh, futile points of view like as you cut back to them neither side feels like it's got any chance of winning they all kind of feel like they're they're just cursed to fail and die in this depressing place which is kind of strange like 
it doesn't make sense that you can both kind of frame the antagonist and the protagonist factions to both, you know, be doomed to fuck up, but somehow it does kind of feel that way. Well, it feels like almost like it's kind of like how war goes, where you have like in World War One, where it's just like both sides are they want to try to go to win, but they both know that it's just going to be a huge slog and tons of death and kind of the you kind of do things for the greater good, even though you know that you're only going to be suffering in death, but maybe possibly your death is not meaningless. When, of course, you kind of know in your heart of hearts that, yeah, my death is. Uh, yeah, kind of. I'd, I'd say that. Uh, so we, we had the in the middle part. We obviously had the Mortarks and the Festerbite sort of deal. Um, a little part of the uh, Nurgle Mortals part that's played around. That's, you know, not the, not the most developed part of the book, but it's fun, is the whole um, the stress, the tension between Gurm the daemon and Festerbite and the mortals because Gurm has his great plan of killing Nagash himself. And then the mortals just want to conquer the land just for grandfather Nurgle because of their ideas of honor and protecting their God. So that I feel like that could have been used a little bit more development. Um, Alex, how did you feel about that? Oh, and in general, I mean, as antagonists, they work uh, the interplay between Al curiosity in the audiobook. Was it Volgus or Volgus? Uh, I thought it was Volgus. Okay, Volgus. I don't know. It, it just Volgus kind of seemed like it worked, but yeah. So the the interplay between them, the like the the chivalric honor, which is a massive kind of uh, constraint for uh, Gurm, uh, works well enough. Um, obviously, the, the more development goes into like the the characters of uh, Tamra and Nefrata and stuff. Though the like the creeping sensation of Nagash being dead, being a lie that kind of overcomes over time is kind of nice. And then also. When you get into the climax, uh, seeing some of the characters actually uh, finally die. meet, yeah, meet meet and die has has its uh, moments of kind of fun. One quite cool part of that is the um, there's a nice detail with Gurm where he's got like a, a palanquin that is made out of uh, silver death, silver death. <laughs> yeah. Which what's kind of funny about that is it really offends Arkan. Like he he gets really annoyed about it in, in about. Like so, I think it's uh, to see them bound in such a manner infuriated him to a degree he found surprising. They did not deserve such torment because which, they kind of care. Is, for which is funny, yeah, because they care about their dead. It's yeah. just funny because like Archon has done such horrible shit, and he's just like, he's like, how dare you, Gurm? How fucking dare you? <laughs> Even I'm not this shitty. Yeah, our, yeah, but yeah, but like Alex was about to bring up uh, our apologies for interrupting, but yeah, it's because the people of Gyran and the Dryads and stuff they actually care about the dead, which is the theme that kind of is always pushed in is that Nagash is death and all the death belong to Nagash. Uh, that's a refrain that gets repeated a lot in the book. Because even if Nagash is not, you know, personally being talked about or discussed, Nagash is ever present in the yeah. book. Even if like he's not directly there, and even if he is just a former shade of himself, which it, which I think Reynolds does a excellent job of like Nagash. Nagash is the land. Nagash is Shaiish, and as long as you're in Shaiish, you can't help but think of Nagash. Yeah, it's like I think the, the quote from him when he's talking to Arkan is they they creep across my bones like maggots. I can feel them. I wish all of it gone. Which is both kind of like. Slightly pathetic in a in a way that does deliver some of that pathos, but also does kind of get to the heart of he he is the realm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because his ultimate goal is to become the the only living thing. It's 
and he's and he's an incredibly bitter creature, Nagash. Um, he's like bitter at Sigmar. He's bitter at the Chaos Gods um, because he sees Sigmar as like stealing his souls from him with the, these Reforge. Because everything must die, even gods, and everything that dies belongs to Nagash. I sort of like the the fact that he does kind of think he's fair and. Um, it seems like most of Shaish has kind of taken that ideology to heart as well. Like, as they always go on about the law of Nagash, everyone is under the impression that is coherent, and it kind of makes sense. <laughs> and it's something to avoid, but they sort of accept it as a part of their lives. Mm. Yeah, and they have idols to Nagash too. It's like the same way that, like, you, like uh, an American or what? Well, I shouldn't say American. Uh, somebody might pray to uh, a Buddhist statue or a cross. Uh, they have like you know uh, these effigies of Nagash, uh, these idols of Nagash that they pray to and ask for favors, sort of deal. So they've set up a very Western style of religion towards Nagash, something that would definitely be not out of place, you know, from like a church or a synagogue, but it's just towards the god of death, Nagash. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, another one of the things that I really liked about the book, um, kind of breaking away from the characters just for a little bit, is they talk about the Dwarden that also exists in... Um... <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, but no, I, I, I just know you like the Dwarden. <laughs> I do like the Dwarves. Um, but basically, they kind of talked about how they wanted to go to the Dwarden uh, to ask them for help. And it's to show that... like. Uh, on the tabletop, you know, dwarves are basically order faction, right? But there's nothing really stopping, you know, these Shaiish mortals from, you know, asking the dwarves. Like, the, the interplay, the, the order chaos destruction is not as so clear cut when it comes to the actual realm. And I really, really like that. It's not like the Imperium where it's like, oh, I take all of my toys and I keep them over here. Chaos keeps all of their toys and they keep them over here. And the Xenos keep their toys over there and keep them over here. There's a lot more interplay between the Grand Alliances. And I think you talked about that, Alex, and I really like that a lot more. It allows a lot more stories to be created and a lot more room for uh, re for storytelling to be told. So, Yeah. Um, so uh, we've discussed most of the middle half. You know, we, we're talking about Tamra and Neferata and that kind of thing. Shall we move on to the climax then? Yep, uh, let's go on to the end, uh, the rather bittersweet end. So we have the Definitely Not Helm's Deep uh, over at the Mandible, where the Nurgle, the Nurgle followers have finally come to the Mandible, and the Drak are forced to make their last stand. Um, you know, they're suffering all their necromantic power, suffering hordes and hordes of dead. Uh, the Nurgle are, are just like enemy at the gates, ready to bash in. Um, Drak has, um, Tamra, my apologies, has recruited the Flesh Eater Courts, who most of them are still under the impression that they're, you know, hallowed knights uh, and they're not cannibalistic beings and who have come to help them. And so we have like this final climax and we have this fun little interplay where the flesh eater courts are killing the Nurgle followers, but um, they're starting to have their visions, um, their hallucination broken a little bit. They're realizing what they actually are versus what they would like to see that they are. Oh, that's badass! I like that. Oh no, it's, it's a great part. Uh, Alex, I imagine you particularly enjoyed that part, but yeah. So basically, we have uh, the king, Prince of Crows. You know, they're like he's like he's having a moment. He's like, I stab the the, the Nurgle follower with my sword, and then he has a brief flash. It's like I tear apart with my claws. No, wait, that's that's not what I did. I stabbed him with my sword. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like and then I tear his flesh apart with my teeth. N no, no, no. I just I just decapitated him. And the kind of like the Reynolds does an excellent job of showing the conflict, the inner mental conflict. 
uh, for the Flesh Eater Ghouls. Uh, that we also that we talked about the flesh eater courts on our episode with the Lickrit guy, so uh, give that a listen if you want to. And Reynolds does a good job of showing how that would look if you if that uh, fantasy was being broken. Um, yeah, Alex, thoughts about um, how the flesh eater courts are portrayed? Because I know you 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 have a good heart for those little ghoul guys. I mean, they're fun. Obviously, Rich probably even more so because he he has a proper army. Um, I no, I, I certainly like that bit. Um. I, I mean, I actually like some of the other, like the, my favorite part of the various battles that were going on in this climax. So you have the, the flesh eater court, you have the, uh, the noble guys kind of invading is the confrontation between Gurm and Arkan. Uh, I, I like the payoff there. Did you enjoy that part? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's, uh, going back to the Sylvaneth thing where we were talking about how Arkan saw the Sylvaneth. Uh, that was good. Uh, that's probably the most emotional Arkan gets this entire book. Uh, honestly, uh, the Whoa. little fight between that because we have a uh, we have the battle between we have we have a few things going on. Uh, we have the battle between Tamra and uh, Festerbite, uh, so we kind of have those two protagonists there. We have Neferata and Volgus, and then we have Archon and Gurm. So these are kind of like the three battles we're balancing. We're bouncing between back and forth. So the uh, yeah the Festerbite and uh, Tamra thing is fun because Festerbites keep like because they throughout the book he's called Gentle Festerbite because he's he's kind of naive and he wants people to get along. He's like, you're gonna surrender, I, you know, I, you can you can give up, it's fine, you can just join us. And then Tamra is obviously very adamant that she isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, yeah, the, so the the part that was uh, kind of fun and um, considering how this ending goes is probably the most triumphant moment. Is when uh, Arkan sort of frees and, uh, and reanimates the spirits of the Sylvaneth um, that made yeah. up uh, Gurm's throne, and they kind of attack him. Uh, yeah, and that uh, would make a great like battle diorama. I've always thought, like, if I if I can ever get around to it, I'm going to do Arkan versus a, a herald with like ghostly Sylvaneth tearing him apart. Yeah, what, what you could probably do is if you took the Ideneth Deepkin, um, you know, their terrain piece, the boat. Yeah, the, yeah, the boat. And then you take some of the spirit host and you attach them from there. You just take a archon off of his uh, off of his uh, mount, and yeah, then exactly. he just he, he just he just attacks a herald of Nurgle. That'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's on my list of things to do. Maybe in fifty years. Yeah, you could put that on uh, armies on parade or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Well, and obviously, you have the the, the kind of the, the title heavyweight battle between um, uh, Volgus and so Volgus, whatever the. the the, the Blightmaster and Neferata. Yeah, that's the... Yeah, there's less um, character interplay between that. It's just kind of like, Walgus is just like, oh, you're a strong opponent. Neferata's like, oh, you're a strong opponent. And it's just kind of Neferata's just delaying Walgus until Tamara eventually, seeing that all is lost, uh, frees the uh, imprisoned uh, kings, which is the which is the big climax of the ending. It's that it all, all seems lost, you know, Nagash, you know, for some reason, it's like Nagash is still a shadow of himself and he's not showing up to defend his people. So Tamara does the one thing that everyone's been telling her not to do is break the law of Nagash, freeing the Kings and basically ca- kind of having this massive force to overrun the Nurgle, fo- the Nurgle followers. However, uh, Nagash being the petty creature that he is, this is the thing that brings him <laughs> out yeah. of his, uh, out of his funk, uh, it's which the is rage. Yeah. He just, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like his people be dying, you know, skeletons dying, Nurgle followers, you know, planting seeds all over his body and land. That doesn't matter to him. But somebody breaks the fucking law of Nagash and Nagash <laughs> reanimates thousands of bodies to basically make himself a new form to show up who broke my law. And then he just kind of casually one shots all the Nurgle followers with like yeah. with a word as it was alluded to how powerful he was. And then Archon and Neferata kind of both had this smug moment against the Nurgle followers, just kind of like, yeah, we knew this was going to happen all along. Yeah. And then you've got like the, the real kind of climax of the story, which is Nagash, who is in this... He's literally a, a kaiju made up of drowned corpses that's rising from the sea. Yeah, And he's like staring down, and he's like, who has broken the law of Nagash? Uh, and at that point, um, Tamara is, is, has got to like defend herself. Um, and even Neferata comes to her aid, like she begs. Yeah. She kneels to Nagash, which is the big character moment for Neferata. That's kind of where all this stuff, it's like, yeah, she's conniving, she's uh, she's manipulative, that sort of stuff. But it all pays off that she kneels to Nagash for Tamra, not for herself. She kneels for Tamra to Nagash. And even Nagash himself, like it is pointed out, is taken aback by this. Yes. And the, the, the funny thing is, so... And and this goes back to something that um, Arkan said before that you know, <laughs> uh, you know he he realizes, but he does not care. That is the way of Nagash, and but he does kind of give her a sort of mercy. And this is the the bittersweet thing where she's just like saying, "Look, I'm just trying to protect the, my people. I I only did this to to save the people that worship you." And mm -hmm. after hearing her out, she's like, he, uh, "Nagash is kind of like, then I'll let you save them." And in doing so, he he casts like a spell and kills, <laughs> kills them. Everyone brings Jesus. them back as a skeleton bound to her. Uh, yep, she she becomes a death lord. Yes, yeah. so now she is the high uh, queen of, of all these clans, but they're all undead skeletons with like like they, I think what makes it slightly bittersweet is like there is a shade of them somewhere in this like there is an echo of who they were. And she so knows like, it, yeah. Yes, in some ways, there are there are a part of her that's preserved, but it it just kind of like it it destroys her emotionally, as as you as you would expect. Just yeah, it's like a monkey's paw sort of thing. No, it, it's a hundred percent. It's it's definitely it's the monkey's paw wish. Tamara's like, I wish to save my people, and the gash is like, the the monkey paw curls. He's like, okay, <laughs> I'll save your people. <laughs> and oh, uh, that was a brutal moment. She's like, because like. They, like some of her people managed to actually escape the neural followers. Like, you know, they're on their ship to get to an island and stuff. And she knows that like, even the ones who are like far off on the land, like are just getting turned into undead skeleton hordes. Uh, he just like curses them all with basically being zombies and stuff like that. And I think also too, that uh, part of her hollowing out is not just be um, from the death of her people, which obviously will destroy that. But it seems that kind of, because the closer you get to Nagash uh, in power, you lose more of yourself and you become more of Nagash, which is, yeah, I, I, I do like the whole interplay between Neferata and Archon to Nagash and kind of like, oh, you know, I mean, like nobody can really betray you, Nagash. Ultimately, this is all it's like when you like convince your shitty boss that your idea was actually his idea. So that way he doesn't get mad. So it's so, like Inception, basically. Yeah, <laughs> they, incept the idea, <laughs> they incept the idea to free the kings. It's like, oh, Nagash, this was. This was like no one can really betray you in Shaiish. Uh, this was actually your idea. <laughs> so <laughs> and, yeah, and then the guy just strokes his chin. He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, this was a brilliant idea by me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I do I do love that interplay between them. That Nagash is just kind of like he's he's obviously an all powerful god, but that he's still kind of like if you just like if you just stroke his ego enough, you can convince him of anything. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then he signs that off with "Rejoice, child!" and Nagash has answered thy prayers. Which yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, Nagash. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when your boss gives you a promotion and stuff, but it's just more work and stuff. And it's just like it's like rejoice. I've given you a promotion, dickhead. Uh, I've given you then, a one cent raise. You should be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll praise Nagash. <laughs> um, Nagash has answered your prayers. I think that should be um that should be a reaction anytime like some uh, bootlicker you know like says like you should be happy it's like oh they installed air conditioning in the amazon factory just like comment below nagash's answer your prayers <laughs> i'm i'm sure <laughs> that that's such a great dunk i'm sure many people who know who nagash is will be very insulted you might have to explain it to them <laughs> it it'll be a very inside baseball but uh, to be honest inside baseball jokes in the left aren't exactly entirely strangers to be a, <laughs> alex are they? Uh, yeah that, that's true i mean uh, you, yeah 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 i mean one of them is running for president right i was there was a marianne joke ah shit fuck me womp womp yeah uh that's a whole nother thing and how she addresses every single problem the u.s has but then her answer is like uh rub some quartz on it it's well no like, no it's, it's it's very nagash like it's the power of love um and nagash loves his people <laughs> nagash, <laughs> nagash loves his people more than marianne williamson is nagash oh that's nagash the episode. Is like that's... instead of instead of bringing up all your people uh here's an orb you know <laughs> undying yas queen uh yeah <laughs> That's going to be episode art. It's going to be the demic, the DNC debate. And then it's just going to be like all of them. Then it's just Nagash's face poorly uh, photoshopped over where Marianne Williamson is. That'll be the art. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to say like, uh, I always try to keep my expectations played out. But uh, when you said that this was like your favorite book, a black library book ever, Alex, I guess I put my expectations a little yeah, bit that's... higher. That's fair enough. I did over. I did hype it up, but I stand by that. Um, no, it, it's still a good book. Like I'm not saying it's a bad book. It's a it's a very good book. It's got very good character play. Uh, but like when you said like, oh, it's like my favorite Black Library book. I was like, oh, okay. But it, it's just this very, um, it's just this very nice uh, character piece with this very night with this fun little big battle at the end. I think yeah. I think what I like about it is precisely how committed it is. Like, I'm a theme guy, and I like how much it explores like themes of justice, themes of consequence, and it's really coherently kind of exploring that stuff. But um, but Alex, themes are for book reports. Ah. <laughs> well, like 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 from what you guys are describing, I think one of the biggest things that um, seems to me, even though I'm 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 going to do the armchair. Uh, I've re totally read this book, guys. Don't worry about it. So I know everything uh, from other people's things. But it seems like almost like one of the things that is touched. You guys touched upon was the idea of it was more interesting in the final battle because we cared about like all the characters involved and their high stakes. You know, the stakes were up to eleven, and like you know, stuff was. It wasn't like you know just bolt your porn where it's like, oh man, we're gonna have this giant battle. It's gonna be sick. It's like you actually cared about the characters and there was not like an army where it was just like unpeople where it's just like uh like again, again helms deep like that's like the quintessential one where it's like okay i don't really care how many orcs die i care about some of these characters up here but like if you have both sides where you care about it then like the stakes are just so much higher and it makes them a much better drop just don't keep those stakes around neferata she gets anti-mouth 
Got him. Damn. Yeah. They even make a little vamp of Dracula reference. They're like, stab the heart, cut off the head. Uh, that was a little fun. All right. Yeah. So final thoughts uh, on the book. Danny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was kind of my final thoughts on it. But uh, uh, my final, final thoughts. I do, I do want to read it now. Um, uh, partially because I feel bad that I, I uh, really <laughs> fucking oh. dropped the ball. Owned. Well, at least I'm not pretending like I read it or something like that. I'm not even going to be like... Here, <laughs> Don't like, pretend you didn't consider that. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Like, We've all done it. We've all done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone got mad at me the other day when I was talking, I was having a take on Dune, and I was like, well, I actually haven't read it, but this is kind of what I've heard from it. Or just... <laughs> Yeah, we 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 we've all we've all pretend to re- to read a book one, at one point in our life. We've all pretend to read it, whether it was for class or it was in a conversation. I just thought I was uh I was done with doing that, but uh, I'm back to my old ways. So really, nothing changes. <laughs> nope, nothing really changes. Uh, Alex, final thoughts on the book? Yeah, I, I stand by my assessment. I I really like it. Um, I think that you know it's it's half the length of most of the books we've read so so it's not that much of a commitment of time um it's consistently entertaining it's got some interesting character stuff and also like the atmosphere it forges is probably also why i just i really enjoyed it i, I think nagash is generally kind of an interesting character in the books mainly because josh reynolds is, is, is quite good at exploring that but i think this is the book where that the weirdness of the <laughs> of of the sundowning god uh, is is kind of well established. Yeah, I mean he's sundowning there, but you know if we get to uh, another Josh Reynolds uh, Nagash book, a uh, Soul Wars, he's yeah. uh, he, he's quite back and flowing. We could we could do a review of that book. Uh, I I already read that book and I quite enjoyed it, but uh, I've, I've yeah. also read it. I, I think it's good. Um, yeah, Although it's... I think the next book we should do is the uh, Ogre Theory book. <laughs> the, yeah, the, oh, yeah. a, a review of the ogre kingdoms book the fifth yeah. uh, the eighth, eighth edition one that'll be it yeah because actually greta's gold tooth is in a way a representative of um <laughs> no i'm not even gonna do this <laughs> yeah. i was yeah. i was tempted you you were gonna you, you, you gotta full, you gotta fully commit to the bit all right all right okay uh yeah i enjoyed the book um it's a very quick read um it's an incredibly quick read. Uh, the pacing of it is ex- is excellent. Uh, I really enjoy all the death discussion. I always like going back to Efer- Neferata, Archon, Nagash. I find these characters endlessly compelling, and it's always a trouble for me to not want to start a death army every time I read about them. But then I realize I, I would never have the wheel to paint 120 skeletons, so then and or afford it. I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm not going to start a death army. But they are excellent characters. Well, you uh, could. You could, instead of painting, you know, the hundred skeletons, paint what will probably end up being forty of the the not skeleton uwu face guys. The definitely not Tomb King's bone reapers. Rattle, rattle, rattle. Yeah, we'll we'll have a, some bone rattle at some point. Alrighty. Uh, yeah. So recommend the book. Uh, go read it. Got some good drama. It has some good stuff on Chaish. A lot of information about the mortals, how the mortals react with the chaos gods and Nagash himself. And so give that a read. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Alex and Danny, for joining on the podcast. Is Danny the unreading kid? He is the unreading kid. I'm I'm I walk into class, I take have a take, and then the teacher looks at me and says, uh, have you read the book? And I run right out of class. That's uh, my college career. 
that is how it works already. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to listen to more, come check us out at sigmarxism.com. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, as always, give us a listen, uh, get downloaded, give us a iTunes review. We definitely need more of those so that we can get those stars and get that, of course, that almighty algorithm that we really want. Uh, and as always, nationalize Games Workshop. All are one under Games Workshop. Games Workshop is all. And Nagash has come through with his promise to Games Workshop, and it's now nationalized under China. We we can cut it. We can cut it, man. It's fine.